Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Well, if you have a Bible, you can begin to work your way to Romans chapter 5 uh, as we continue in our series. Um, I, I hope you're having a good day. I hope that you leave here having a better day. This, uh, this is uh, what Martin Luther described as the happiest verses in Romans. So we're going to have a happy day today, okay? Uh, so you're going to have some amens, hopefully. You're going to uh, roll out with that. Uh, let me ask you this by show of hands. Who here is like a surprise person? You love to be surprised. Any surprise people? Okay. About a third. Okay. Who here is like, I don't want, I don't want any surprises. I want to know what's going on. A few. Okay. Now, and I saw some of you uh, are married to the opposite, and that can be a problem sometimes um, when you like the surprise or you don't like the surprises. I learned this early in my marriage that, uh, that there's certain surprises my wife does not, does not like, and, and it's not that she just doesn't like them, she hates them. And so, like early on, I'd be like, oh man, I'm going to get her, I'm going to scare her, and, and she, would, she would be scared, and I would laugh, and she would be mad, like for a while. And, and like, I did that like two or three times in our first year. And I was like, oh, this is not working out well for me in, in any other area. And so I stopped and I try, I really, I try not to, like, I, I try not to scare her. Like, even yesterday I was like, came in a room, she's like, ah, and I'm like, I'm sorry. This is actually in my sermon now, but um, <coughs> I, I didn't mean to surprise you. Uh, but uh, there's good surprises, there's bad surprises. Um, two or three times in, in, our, in our marriage, Jennifer's thrown a birth, uh, surprise birthday party for me. I was totally clueless and showed up and, and the whole crowd said surprise and I was blessed. I was well loved in that moment. Uh, last time we were in Orlando for work uh, and we had the, the kids with us and they're like, are we going to Disney? We're like, no, we're not going to Disney. Uh, we did the work, got back to the airport and then we said, surprise, we're not flying out. We're getting on the Disney bus and we went there. So that's a good surprise. But there are bad surprises, right? We've all had those. That's just the way this world is. But like March, uh, I think it was, we were about March 12th, was it about, uh, uh, 2020, we, we, we show up in Galveston, Texas, and we, uh, we stand before uh, the Royal Caribbean cruise ship, and we're like, we're going on that, and that night they said, no, you're not. In fact, all cruises are stopped now for an indefinite amount of time, and so that was a bad surprise, right? Like, whatever it is, there's good ones, there's bad ones, but the fact of the matter is we're surprised because uh, we are finite. We, we don't have all the knowledge. We don't have all the information. We, there, there are times where uh, it's going to be good or bad, and so it comes to us as news. So let me ask you another question. So when someone comes to you and says, I've got good news and I've got bad news, Who's here, like, give me the good news first, people? Man, oh, okay, one person, two people are the good news people. So you, the rest of you uh, are, are bad news people, right? Okay, some of you didn't raise your hand, you're just like, no news. I don't, I don't want any news. I don't want any, anything. So, oh, that's interesting. So most of you are like, okay, well, that, that's probably because as Americans, you're like, okay, let's, let's get the bad news first so we can spin it in an optimistic way into the good news. That, that's how we roll. Now, if you were with my friends in the Czech Republic, they'd be like, give me the bad news, and then they'd just walk away. They're like, that's, that's how life is, and I don't, I don't think there is any good news. That's, 
I'm not joking. That's, that's how they would respond to that. But there's good news. There, there's bad news. Um, and sometimes it matters how you, like the order that you give it, right? So, so far in the book of Romans, for example, Paul has, has labored to show the, the bad news. How bad is the bad news? Uh, so that when he brings the good news, it, it seems that much better. And, and we would do well to follow his model. Um, we tend to be so optimistic spiritually. We only want to tell people, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, without understanding the context and really the depth and breadth of that love. And so Paul says, I'm going to give you the bad news first and then the good news. Sometimes the order matters. It sets things up. It reminds me of that letter that that college freshman wrote to her parents. It says, dear mom and dad, it's been three months since I left for college. I have been remiss in writing, and I am very sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I I will bring you up to date now, but before you read on, please sit down. You are not to read any further unless you are sitting down, okay? Are you sitting down? Well then, I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the window of my dormitory when it caught on fire shortly after my arrival are pretty well healed by now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital, and now I can see almost normally and only get those headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump was witnessed by an attendant at the gas station near the dorm, and he was the the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He is a very fine boy, and we have fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. (laughs) Yes, mother and dad, I am pregnant. I know how very much you are looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and tender care you gave me when I was a child. Now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dorm fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I am not engaged. However, I am getting a D in sociology and an F in economics. And I wanted you to see those grades in light of their proper perspective. (laughs) Your loving daughter. So sometimes the order matters. Um... But then there's times when someone says to you, hey, I have good news and I have good news. And you're like, yes, give me the good news. You just know it's going to build. I have good news and I have good news. Surprised by more. I was thinking this week as we were planning, pastors have to plan for Christmas in October. So we were planning out everything. I was thinking about Christmas. And and when I think about Christmas, I often think about my mom. She, she died nine years ago, but she loved, loved, loved Christmas, loved it. And she loved to bless her children on Christmas. She loved to bless her grandchildren on Christmas. And so uh, come Thanksgiving, she would decorate the house and put on the music and, and put up the tree and, and gifts would begin to show up. And more and more as we got closer to Christmas, they, they began to surround and take over the living room. And um, as it, it, on Christmas Eve, there would be so many. She said, okay, you could open one gift and we'd open the gift and enjoy that that night. But then we'd go to sleep and wake up and come down the stairs early in the morning before 
21 wakes up and it seemed like there was an explosion of gifts at that point taking over the whole, the whole family room and we would just open gift after gift after gift and she's just delighted in blessing her grandchildren and blessing her children and, and we would open all the gifts and we would just kind of bask in the glow of the Christmas gifts and all the, the, the wrapping paper all around and, and when we'd be finished, uh, she would say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. And she would send us to the closet or behind the Christmas tree and there'd be another gift and we'd open up and it'd be the best gift. And as we opened up the gift, we're like, wow. She just loved to be like, there's good news and there's good news. And when I looked at Romans chapter five this week, this is the vibe. This is the vibe of Romans chapter five. Paul has labored to show how bad the bad news is. That, that, that we do stand under the justified wrath of God because of our rebellion in, in our sin and, and we were totally lost and there was nothing we could do to make our way back. But then the doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone, he unpacks that, which by the way, was restored to the church 504 years ago today by Martin Luther as he nailed his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. But that's another sermon. And he says, this is amazing news. We get the righteousness of God. But now, starting in chapter 5, all the way through chapter 8, he is going to begin to unpack all that that means. It means more than you just have the righteousness of God. It means more than you're just forgiven of your sins, as amazing as that is. It means more than, uh, than things are restored. He says, there are so many benefits to your justification There's more and there's more. And so he's going to continue to say, wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. So Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be at uh, today. There's going to be six things. I'll put them on the screen uh, that that kind of show us uh, the the more of our justification. It's not just that we have been right right with God, which is amazing. He's going to say, if if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, this is true of you. It, It is his aim that we would leave here with more joy because of these truths than when we came into this room. So as we turn our attention to God's word, I'd ask you to listen carefully. This is his word. He says this, Romans 5.1, therefore, in light of everything he's been talking about, justification by faith alone, through grace alone, therefore, since we have been justified, and he begins to open the storehouse of the treasure of justification, the first thing he says is, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now in this context, in, even in this chapter, there's two kinds of peace. There's subjective peace. That, that's the feeling of peace. That's the feeling of shalom. And man, I feel at rest when you just kind of take a breath or maybe you're on vacation, wherever your peace is. Uh, but, but that comes, we'll see in verse five. But, but what he's talking about specifically here is objective peace objective peace. Whether you feel it or not, because of what Christ has done and your faith in him, you have objective peace with God. The world is desperate for peace. We're we're desperate for political peace with our enemies and and foreign nations. We're desperate for uh, relational peace between our spouses and and our children and our extended family. We're, We're desperate for political peace in, in between political parties. We're, we're desperate in, in, in so many ways for personal peace. We just want to have peace. And yet in this side of eternity, all that peace seems to be uh, f- come and go. And what the world ultimately needs is peace with God. 
The reason why there's so much uh, unpeace in the world is because people haven't come to a place to find peace with God. And, and so the first benefit that Paul unpacks for our justification is that we actually get an actual peace with God. This is objective peace. This is the description of two warring parties who lay down their arms and make peace and embrace one another. This is what's true of you. So, so there is no enmity between you and God. There is reconciliation. In fact, he'll go on later in the chapter to just kind of talk about how this peace works itself out. I'll pick it up in verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through, whom, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So reconciliation, reconciliation. That there is no, animosity between you and God. There is, even now, even if you turn and you stumble and you sin, God doesn't say, now there's a war between us anymore. No, it is all obliterated. So the very first benefit of these six in Romans 5 is that we have objective peace with God. Number two, look at verse two. Through him, the Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I have prayed for you this week that this verse would strike home. Of all the verses we're going to look at, I want you to understand what he just said. We have access. We have access to the throne room of grace. We have the ultimate backstage pass. Anyone ever have a good backstage pass? What's your claim to fame with your backstage pass? New kids on the back block. There you go. New kids on the block. Anyone, anyone can compete with that? New kids on the block? Any, no one? Okay, so we're not a very privileged people. We don't have a lot of backstage passes. That's okay. I, I've not been cool enough to have a, a lot of backstage passes. I, I did have a, a kind of a backstage pass at a Bronco game where we got to go down on the field and hold the flag during the, the anthem. That's about it. Uh, m- my wife has had, actually had a few backstage passes. Uh, a few years ago, we're at a gospel coalition conference. And, and if you go to this conference with 15,000, 20,000 Christians and, and you got all the speakers and all that, uh, you, you can't just go talk to all of them. They have this, like, literally a curtain uh, that, that goes behind. And they got someone guarding the curtain. And my wife had a backstage pass because she's an author and, and she was speaking there. And so uh, she had to go behind the curtain. I, I didn't get allowed. I, I wasn't allowed to be behind the curtain. But she had to go and, and film, film something uh, for her book. And so as she was going there, she realized she had lo- left her phone at the hotel that we had just checked out on. And so I, I needed to go back and get that for her. And she, meanwhile, gets the backstage stage pass and goes in and I'm thinking how am I going to go there uh, she's all dressed up for her, her film all that I'm in a hoodie and jeans and so uh, I'm like I don't know how this is going to work but as I get her phone and I, I take it to the curtain area and there's a woman there and, and she looks at me and she says I know who you are I'm like oh cool you are Jen Oshman's husband I'm like yes I am well, come on in. I'm like, okay. And so I, I go in there and uh, I'm totally out of place. And the people are like, you don't have a backstage pass. And, and there's famous people walking around. I'm sitting there and they're whispering like, oh, is she, it's Jen Oshman's husband. I'm like, I have a name. <laughs> My name's Mark. 
I, I know I don't belong here, but I'm here. And Jesus says, you belong here. You belong in the throne room of grace. You have the ultimate backstage pass. This is what God's people, as scary as it has been for them, have always longed for. I think of Moses in Exodus. He he pleads with the Lord. Lord, show me your glory. Just give me a a glimpse behind the curtain. Let, Let me just have a glimpse, Lord. He's like, you can't handle it. You can't handle it. He's like, please, Lord. He's like, okay, I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock and I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to pass by. And, and this happens. And, and just the, the, the slightest glimpse into the backstage pass area changes him forever. It makes his face white. It freaks out the people. But, but he has a glimpse of the glory of God. And Jesus says, you get more than that. I think of the Israelites in, uh, in the book of Leviticus. I know you guys just did your morning devotions in that book. But... Um, In Leviticus chapter 9, the people of God are gathered, maybe a million people, and they're lifting their praises, they're making their offerings. In fact, Aaron, the high priest, has made an offering uh, for their sin, and uh, I'll pick it up here in verse 22 of Leviticus 9. It says, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, gave them a benediction, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. So they had a backstage pass. They got to go. And that, that was the manifest presence of the, of the eternal God of the universe would, <coughs> would meet with them in that place. I don't, I don't know what that was like, but they got to go in there. And after the meeting in there, they, they came out. It says then, uh, where, where am I at? Okay. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. So for a moment in time, the veil between heaven and earth got pulled back, and the glory of God gets revealed to all the people. They they get a glimpse. It says, and fire came down from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. Can you imagine being in that crowd in that moment? The glory of God, what your heart was made for, what you were made to see and behold, and yet you couldn't because of your sin. The sin offering has been made, and for just a moment, it gets pulled back, and you see the glory of God, and a fire from heaven comes down and absolutely just obliterates the offering. Look what it says. It says, came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell on their faces. Imagine that. Imagine, you're like, no way, glory of God, glory of God, fireball. They're like, yes, 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 glory of God, glory of, oh no, glory of God, glory of God is in this place. And, and they were undone in that moment because they're like, we can't stand in this, we can't be here, please close up the curtain, we can't be here anymore. And they get a glimpse. And Jesus says, oh, you get more than that. Think of Isaiah, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, 
And the robe of his train filled the temple. And he looks in and he's trembling and he sees these angelic beings. He sees these seraphim who, who are, are without sin and yet they have six wings. And he says with two they cover their feet and with two they cover their eyes because they can't look on the glory of God even as these angels. And with two they fly and they shout back to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah, what, what does he do? He's standing there trembling and all of a sudden he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm finished. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And he he thinks he's just going to be obliterated in that moment and God gives him grace in that moment, but he deserved to be obliterated. And Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that. Why? Oh, because you're not a person of unclean lips anymore, Mark. And Redemption Parkers are not a people of unclean lips. I have given you my righteousness, so come on in. Come on in. Come into the throne room of grace and just bask in what you were created for. This is a benefit of our justification. And we take it for granted. We, we live lives so consumed with other things than pursuing the thing that you were made for and the thing that you will enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. Uh, where we're going to get to that day and we're going to be like, man, why did I waste so much time concerned about the little things? I had access to the glory of God at any moment, at any time. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way. He says, the only person... The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. Do you believe that? Man, church, if we could just believe this, it would change everything. And Jesus says, you got the pass. You belong here. You can come anytime. You can meet with him anytime. I mean, if, if any of us, there's a person in our mind right now that, that if we got to meet, we got to hang out with, we would tell everybody about that. Hey, I'm going to go meet with this person. I'm going to go hang because that would be really, really cool. And, and, and Jesus says, oh, oh, you get to meet with the person. You get, to, you get to bask in the glory of God. I got to move on or we won't be done. So uh, let's look at the next one. So we, we have uh, verse 2b. It says, uh, we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. We rejoice in hope. We get to rejoice in hope in the glory of God. So uh, the biblical word for hope is uh, elpis. It, it is not our hope. We talk about hope more like wishful thinking. I hope, I hope she'll say yes. I hope the Broncos win more than four games this year. I hope, yeah, that's shaky, right? Like all of the hopes of this world are, are very unstable. So if your hope is in what a 24-year-old is going to do with a football this afternoon, your hope is going to rise and fall. If your hope is in your spouse uh, meeting every need of yours, your, your hope is going to rise and fall as you interpret how well they're loving and serving you. If your hope is in the economy, it, it's going to be as, as jagged as the stock market uh, graph. If your hope is in anything in this world, it is ultimately a shaky hope, but that's not the hope that we have because of our justification. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have a confident assurance and we know this from the past.
past, present, and the future. We know that because of what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, we have this confident hope that does not waver or shift with the, the, the circumstances of our lives. And so we rejoice in hope. And then he says, not, not only that, but wait, there's more. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. At this point, you feel like uh, the, the needle on the record player just went, like, what? This is so beyond 21st century uh, American view of what blessings from God look like. He says, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We're at such a unique time in, in history where we've been able to put sufferings, by and large, in our daily life out on the periphery. We've got antibiotics, for crying out loud. We've got uh, all these ways to manage suffering. And then hey, if people do suffer uh, around our lives, we've we got ways to even put them away. It's like we don't want to be around that. We, 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 um, we, we think of suffering only through a, a negative lens. Now, let me just clarify here. When he says we rejoice in our sufferings, this is not masochism. It's not saying, oh, great, I'm suffering. This is awesome. No, the Bible is very honest about the, the brokenness of those, this world. And it doesn't say, hey, rejoice because you are suffering. So it's not masochism. It's not stoicism either. Well, I'm suffering, but that doesn't really matter. I'm just going to go through my life uh, pointed towards Christ. That's not what he's saying. There is, a, there is more of, of an eternal optimism for the believers. See, Paul is writing to first century uh, Gentiles that have given their faith to Christ and first century Romans, uh, Jewish people have given their faith to Christ. And in so doing, they have found that more than not, it has actually added to their suffering rather than taken away from their suffering. And we do people a disservice when we share the gospel and we say in any way, shape, or form, hey, God will make it all better for you. No, he may not. It may be more difficult, actually, if you follow Jesus. Jesus was clear about this. We're not, but Jesus was. Hey, if you follow me, it could be get, get very difficult. But Paul says, hey, we rejoice in our suffering because knowing that suffering produces. Knowing that suffering produces. What does suffering produce, Paul? He says, well, it first produces endurance, a kind of uh, a durability to our faith. And endurance produces character, uh, a Christ-likeness. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It produces something. So see, when we come to Christ and we know he is on the throne and he is ruling forever, he has eternal purposes in our lives. And everything in our lives has uh, the purpose of making us more prepared to enjoy and celebrate Him forever. And so if suffering is the, the cause, the catalyst for you to grow and become more like Christ, and by the way, it is, it is the, I might say, it's not only the primary way, it may be the only way that we really grow and become like Jesus. He was the man of sorrows. He's always weeping. Even though he was perfect and sinless, his heart was broken in this world. And yet, if we want to become like Christ, he's going to put us through some suffering so we get that endurance, so we get that character, so that we get that hope, so that we are um, headed in the right direction. 
I mean, everyone that's a parent here wants their kids to have character. We want our kids to have uh, endurance. We want them to have character and hope. But, but, then, but we live in 21st century Parker, Colorado. And so, so many of you are bulldozer parents. You know what those are? We're just going to bulldoze all the problems, all the struggles, all the things out of our, our kids' way so that they can just have a nice, easy path. Well, the nice, easy path does not produce like suffering does. Let your kids struggle a little bit. Let, let them have some, some, some pain in their life so that they can learn that this life is painful, but Christ is worth it. So but that's not only true for our kids, it's for us as well. Suffering produces. We can rejoice because our suffering produces in us a Christ-likeness. And that Christ-likeness will matter forever and ever and ever. And this life is about a blink of an eye and in, that, in the end, we'll hope, all that will matter is, will we have looked more like Christ? He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God has poured out his love to us through the Holy Spirit. This first mention of the Holy Spirit, and it's tied to the Holy Spirit giving us the love of God. Part of that is that subjective peace, subjective love. The Holy Spirit comes and gives us the love of God. It, it reminds me of uh, in the 1800s when uh, an elderly lady came up to Charles Spurgeon, Pastor Charles Spurgeon, and said, hey, I'm struggling. Do you ever struggle with, with wondering if God loves you? And he said, no, ma'am, I do not. And she was kind of taken aback by that. It's like, well, he said, let me ask you this. Do you love God? She says, yes, I do. I love God with all my heart. I just don't know if he loves me. He said, well, you can rest assured, miss because if you love God, you can know, and I know, the reason why I never struggle with God's love for me is that if I have any love for God, it was put there by God in and of myself. I had no love for God, but, but God put that in me, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So just know that God loves you because you, your heart is inclined towards him. Say, okay, I, I feel that now, and, and so I can rest in that, but, but maybe you don't even feel that. And this is also a danger in our culture. We've let our feelings lead our faith. And so Paul's going to say, it's not, your feelings matter, but they must be led by the truth. And, and our heart must follow that. And so he points us to objective truth. Whether you feel the love of God or not, he points us to the gospel. He says, let me show you the love of God. He says, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved in him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. Three times he mentions this. While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies. Here's what he's saying. Look at the cross. Look what God has done. When you were at your very worst, not when you cleaned yourself up, not when you finally got your stuff together, not when you started getting your relationships right, not when you started doing all your spiritual disciplines and, and tithing the right amount and all those things. When you were in total rebellion, enemies of God, he loved you. He sent his son on a rescue mission of love. You say, I, I don't feel love. Well, it doesn't matter what you feel. Rehearse the truth. 
Rehearse the truth of what has happened in Christ on the cross in your place and know for sure that he loves you. And, and, and here, here's the argument. If we were that bad, if we were that far away, if we were that lost, and yet and still he loved us like that, how much more? How much more that if he can love us through his death, now being raised to life and adopting us as sons and daughters, how much more does he love us now? And so we need to just renew our mind to that truth. This is why you shouldn't follow your feelings on whether or not you want to pray or not. You say, here's what's true. God has invited me into the throne room of grace, and so I'm going to pray until I feel like praying. This is why you should worship expressively. This is why you should raise your hands. Well, I don't feel like that. Who cares? Tell your heart what's true. This is why the psalmist says, whom have I in heaven uh, but you? And, And earth has nothing I desire but you. And that was... That was a verse for another point. Sorry. Uh, This is why the psalmist in 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. He has this conversation and all that is within me. He's talking to his heart. He's talking to his feelings. He's like, hey, we're going to bless the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. Not because we feel like it, but because he's worthy of it. This is what's true. This is what's right. So he's leading his heart to follow his mind. And this is what Paul is doing. And if while we were still weak, while we were sinners, while, while we were enemies, God loved us, how much more will he love us through his life? Uh, just a couple more and I'll wrap it up. Uh, verse 9 says, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Uh, and then at the end of verse 10, shall we be saved by his life? So salvation has a past, present, and future tense to it. Past, we, we were saved by Christ on the cross. And when we trusted in him, we are being saved by the spirit indwelling us and conforming us through sufferings to make us more and more like Christ. And we will be saved. There is still a day coming when, when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will roll back the, the curtain totally and he will judge the living and the dead. And everyone will stand under under his judgment except for us. Why? Because his judgment already fell on Jesus in our place on the cross. And so we will be saved. We, we don't have anything to fear on that day. We get to say, awesome, he's back. He's judging the world. But, but our judgment fell on Jesus and he's given us his righteousness. And so we walk confidently into his presence in that day. Finally, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice more than that. I love that. But wait, there's more. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice in God. The, the ultimate benefit of justification is not that you get anything except for that you get God. God is the gospel. If everything else was stripped away, and in the end, all you get is the presence of the most glorious, beautiful, powerful, majestic being in the whole universe, that would be more than enough. We get God. This is why Psalm 73 says, whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire except for you. In the end, the gospel says, hey, it's all been restored. You get God. You get God. So, how, how should we respond to this passage? I think there's two aims in this passage. Two things. I, I think a passage like this, just 
full of good news and good news and good news and good news is, first of all, to uh, teach us to learn the discipline of treasuring Christ. Learn the discipline of treasuring Christ. Now, now every Sunday when we gather, we are practicing the discipline together as God's people to treasure Christ. We practice the discipline when we lift our voices, regardless of what our hearts feel, to the praise of Christ. We practice the discipline when we come to this table and take the communion and are reminded of the good news. We practice the discipline every Sunday. But this is not enough. This is not enough. you've You've got to get some pattern, some habit in your life to remind yourself of all these truths. You're going to need it this afternoon. You're going, to need, you're going to need it tomorrow when work starts. You're going to need it on Wednesday. So, so what is your plan to rehearse the truth of these benefits of your justification? I, I don't have an answer for you. Maybe you write it down on the connect card or something like that. But you've got to come up with a plan. Because this world will beat you down. It will wear you down. It will disciple you in the ways of the world. And so I think a passage like this is, is showing us we must pursue the discipline of treasuring Christ and the gospel. The other thing I think this passage wants to do in us, I said it already, is that it wants to increase our joy. So if you came in here as a two, my prayer is that you'd leave as a three. If you came in here as a six, you'd leave as a seven. None of us get to 10 on this side of eternity. None of us get to 10. But, but all of us can have a degree of joy as we just rehearse these truths. And, and together as God's people, this is a reminder that we are stewards of peace, hope, and joy of the gospel. Redemption Parker, you are the stewards that to get, get to take this message outside of these walls today. The world is desperate for peace you've got the peace. The world is desperate for hope, real hope, rock-solid hope. You've got the hope. The world is desperate for joy, and we are carriers of that. So let us be a people that pray for one another. Lord, you're sovereign over my life this week. I want to pray for whoever comes across my life, maybe someone I know or maybe someone I don't know, that I can be a carrier of joy, hope, and peace in their life. I uh, heard this story last Sunday night as we were praying for you guys, as you put in the uh, prayer cards and we had our worship and prayer night. Uh, Lucas McFarland came up to me and he just told me a story. He said uh, his dad had called him up and said, hey, do you remember that guy we did, uh, that we had, had, had him come put some granite in our house? And Lucas was like, yeah. He's like, you remember who he was? He's like, not really, but yeah, I helped out. He's like, do you remember he was kind of rough around the edges? He's like, yeah, he he had the sleeve tattoos, the knuckle tattoos, the ear tattoo, the neck tattoo, the chin, like under the chin, like he was tatted up. Uh, Yeah, he seemed like a pretty rough dude. He's like, yeah. He said, well, I I, I had some more granite work this week to be done, so I I called him up. And and he came, and um, he he got another tattoo. I'm like, okay. Well, before I tell you what that is, I got to tell you this story. He he began to tell me, he said that, uh, man, his life had just really gone downhill. Like there was uh, financial problems and drug and alcohol problems and relational problems. He's going through divorce and and he he decided it, it just wasn't worth it anymore. And he went into his garage and he got out his gun 
And as he put the gun to his head, his eight-year-old daughter's friend came around the corner and looked into the garage and said, don't do it, mister. God loves you and has a plan for your life. He started weeping like a baby, put the, put the gun down, and eventually found his way to Christ. And so if your life was so, so, so dark and broken coming into that, and you're already tattooed up, and, and you've got no more real estate on your skin, uh, what do you do? Well, you find some real estate. And he got a tattoo. And it says, praise God. <laughs> praise God. So he comes in and tells the story, and he tells the story all the time. Let me tell you that God is worthy to be praised. Let me tell you how good he is. Let me tell you his mercy. Praise God. And they're like, okay, we believe you. We believe you. But here's the deal. That's all of our stories if you've trusted in Christ. That's your message if you've trusted in Christ. Don't be afraid of it. The world desperately needs it. Praise God. You may not get a tattoo. I'm guessing none of you will cowards <laughs> but it's your message it's our message we get to tell the world that you can be justified and we get to unpack the gifts of our justification but wait there's more amen, amen. let me pray for us father thank you for your word to us this morning lord our hearts sing with good news and more good news Lord, I pray particularly for those that are struggling, maybe that are at the ones and twos in their joy this morning, uh, that this week, somehow, someway, by your Spirit who pours out love into our hearts, you would remind us of what's ultimately true, and that we would walk in the peace that we have, we'd walk in the hope that we have. What if anyone hasn't bended their knee and confessed faith in you, I pray that even now they would find new life in you today. Lord, let us be a community that carries this message of praise God into wherever you lead us this week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.